Kylie Trouncen didn't have a normal childhood. As the daughter of IVF pioneer Alan Trouncen, she grew up in the shadow of one of the greatest, but also most controversial, medical breakthroughs of modern times. Now, as an adult and a playwright, she takes us on a journey that explores that legacy. Hello, I'm Fiona Gruber, and to find out more, I spoke with Kylie about The Waiting Room and her take on the largest and smallest aspects of creation. I think I had a pretty clear understanding from a very young age of what he did. Um, You know, I was probably one of the few children at the time to know what an embryo looked like under the microscope. I knew my dad was a scientist and he was, you know, working on in vitro fertilisation and and, and what that meant, you know, making babies for infertile people. And when you were a child, how quickly did you become aware that it was a controversial profession? You were picked on in the playground, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it picked on, but, you know, it came up in the playground at school. Your dad's a baby murderer kind of thing. Um, I I think I became aware quite early, you know, kind of five-ish years old, that um, not everyone thought what he was doing was the right thing for society. So when you decided to write this play, was this the first time you'd actually explored all those other views, the views of feminist Robin Rowland, the views of the Catholic Church. There were a whole array of people who were really against your dad, weren't they? Yeah, there were. And and you're right, this was sort of the first time I'd actually sat down as an adult to really go through what their positions were. And I I went and met with um, people like Robin Rowland and um, Nick Tontafilippini and Father Norman Ford um, and had really amazing conversations with them. You unpack really well the right to lifers, the feminists, the religious side of it. Do you think that debate has has died now? Do you think there are those levels of passion about IVF? I think they're absolutely still around. They popped up again. You know, sort of different guys. I remember particularly um, about 15 years ago when the parliament was debating legislation on whether to allow... Um, research to be done on human embryos in the name of stem cell medicine and my dad was you know sort of the forefront of of advocating for um to be able to do that kind of work and the language that came out and the arguments that came out um from all those spheres you know was very similar and very reminiscent of the stuff that was leveled at at him in the in the early 80s well that's an interesting uh, that you mentioned that because one of the things that comes through in the play is that at the time your dad was making those breakthroughs on IVF, there was a much sort of stronger emphasis on scientific funding in this country. And as one of your characters points out in the play, there's not even a minister for science anymore. Well, it made me quite sad um, looking through this stuff and and, and particularly looking at um, media from the time because when we had um, Australia's first IVF baby, it was the second in the world and, and, you know, they were only months out of being the first in the world and, in fact, the, the science that Dad pioneered is the science that they use now. We developed, you know, modern IVF. You know, we were... Absolutely cutting edge, and that was massive for Australia at that time. And there was, a, I think, there was a great deal of pride in that. As much as there was controversy, there was also like, oh, we're you know not just good at cricket, like we're you know, world leaders in this area. And it made me really sad to realise how far behind we slipped and how quickly. Um, you know, when I talk about it with Dad now, he said, oh, you know, Australia's not even in the race. Like we're not even in the ballpark. You have walk-on parts in the play from Galileo, Aristotle, Jesus. So you bring in the really big ideas about what creation is, the soul, 
um, the persecution of scientists and, you know, core beliefs in heaven and hell. Um, did you plan that from the start? Did you know where you were going when you started this play? No, <laughs> no, I really didn't. Um, I just started with one thread, um, well, two threads, I guess. One thread being, you know, the work that my dad did um, in the late 70s, early 80s, and then the experience of a fictional couple. And then I get through exploring those two storylines, I kind of realised that I wasn't actually writing a play about IVF. I was writing a play I thought or was coming to discover um, about what humans do in the face of mortality and I guess that was a, a hypothesis for me for a while that is is it really a play about death actually not birth because um, you know is the pursuit of uh, trying to have your own biological child and see your line continue is, is that the same thing as you know creating a scientific breakthrough and, you know, leaving that legacy to the world and in the same way, you know, creating a play is, you know, some way of leaving something of yourself um, in the world after we're, we're not here anymore. And then, you know, how do people who um, believe in an afterlife and God grapple with that? So it, it just broke open the play to kind of much bigger ideas and then I needed big characters to tell them, I guess. So, you know, I, I felt that I needed Jesus to walk in and sit on a filing cabinet on stage and I, I needed Aristotle to come and talk about insolment because he was, you know, the person who was talking about it first um, and, you know, the, the parallels with Galileo and persecution and misunderstanding and, and all that sort of stuff was also, were also became relevant. So it was just, you know, I kind of just decided, well, we can do this and then the play just got bigger and bigger and bigger till I looked at it and went, oh, my God, <laughs> what is this beast? Well, you managed to keep it very funny as well. There are lots of very witty moments with your dad and also your mum, you really kind of bring those aspects to life. Were you always going to have yourself on stage in this? Or not you, but an actor playing you? Uh, No, (laughs) it was something that that came up. I was desperately trying to keep myself out of it. You know, I I knew my dad was going to be in it. Um, And then my mum crept into it. And um, I I really resisted writing myself into the play. But, you know, I kept telling people stories, you know, the director and dramaturg and actors that I was working with when we were developing it and and telling them stories about what I remember as a kid of of dad's work and how it, and the bigger questions that it raised and how society was talking about it back then. And people were just like, you've got to put that in. That's really interesting. So I relented and I put myself in a little bit and then... Yeah, and then, you know, my own process of um, wanting to conceive a child, which came up while I was, you know, writing sort of a, a second draft of it, um, was kind of too difficult to ignore. It, it fed into the work. It's pretty impossible to write a story about conceiving and not conceiving babies when you're trying to do that yourself. You, you haven't gone for a heartwarming play about, you know, the inevitable results of IVF. Your play really looks at the pitfalls as well as the great rewards of it you're really quite unflinching aren't you yeah I guess I I felt you know in in researching the play and talking to people who who've been through it of course there is you know the the kind of bigger happy outcome for society is that there's five million babies in the world that weren't here before my dad did the work that he did but on a kind of individual level it can be an incredibly difficult fraught emotional draining unsuccessful pursuit and Oh, I, I guess I wanted to acknowledge that experience because it's quite common, you know. A lot of people who go through IVF don't get a child.
world. And, and that's what really struck me also when I was um, talking to my dad about the very early days of IVF before that even before they even knew they could create a baby in a lab was um, and it was my dad's insistence also that I, I, I think about these people too the people who went through it in the 70s when it was highly experimental there was no baby born but these people would live in hospital and have you know huge amounts of invasive procedures and things done to their body with no real hope of having a child but they did it because you know they desperately wanted one but also because they felt they were contributing to developing of this you know what was then crazy sci-fi type type ideas so in the audience I imagine everybody who's watching this play will either know someone who's had IVF or have had IVF or have a position on IVF. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm quite conscious of that, I think, going into production now that, you know, everyone in the audience will bring, you know, their own personal story to it and their relationship to, to that science to it, whether it's their own or, you know, family or, or friends. I think we need to be really respectful of the stories that we tell on the stage to try and be inclusive and careful and truthful. And it's also, I think, one of the reasons why, you know, I wanted it to be funny as well because I, I don't think you can, you know, handle a whole lot of darkness unless you have the light in there as well. So, yeah, I hope it's moving and affecting for people um, in an uplifting way and that's you know what I've really tried to do. Kylie, thanks very much indeed. No worries. Thanks, Fiona. The Waiting Room by Kylie Trampson, directed by Naomi Edwards, is playing at Art Centre Melbourne, Fairfax Studio, from the 15th of May to the 27th of June. Book online at mtc.com.au slash waiting or phone the box office on 03-86-88-0800. This podcast is part of the MTC Talk series. To listen to more episodes from the series, visit mtc.com.au slash mtctalks, or search for MTC Talks in the iTunes Store or on SoundCloud. 